Let us go to the Lord again in prayer. Our gracious and holy Heavenly Father, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank You that You rule not only in the army of heavens, but among the inhabitants of the earth. There's much chaos, turmoil, sickness, sin, death, and all of the complexities of life that bombard us on every hand. But Thou art the same yesterday, today, and forever. While the wrath of man praises You, the remainder You restrain. Obviously, Your ways are so far above ours as the heavens are above the earth. There's no way that we have the right to question what You're doing. Though there are times when it seems that all around us is chaos and turmoil and we do wonder. And even then we pray that our wonderings and questions are not sinful as much as they are inquiring that we might know more about how to serve You and to honor You in the midst of trials and afflictions. We thank You for Your great long-suffering toward us and how that You put up with us in our trifling ways. And yet we long for the day when we shall be with You. Even the Apostle Paul spoke of to depart and to be with You as was not only better, but far better. And yet we have no way of knowing what that is like. We anticipate it. We contemplate it. We try to ascertain from Your Word some of the things but we're still left in confusion. And even as we speak of the finality when we are in our resurrected body, we're made to say with the Apostle John that 
We know not what we shall be, but we know that we shall be like our Lord Jesus Christ and we shall see Him as He is. We know that our Lord is in heaven. We know He's seated at your side. We know that He's in His glorified body. We know that the angelic host are round about the throne, encircled with the rainbow, and all of the majesty and grandeur of His person. And while we use such descriptive language, we don't even know how to think about that. But we thank You that it's real. You are the God of creation. You are the God of history. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are not a figment of some religious imagination, but you are real. So help us to lay hold upon this truth more and more and help us to understand how we are to live in such a way that we might apprehend this as much as possible. We do pray, Father, for those that have lost loved ones due to sicknesses, those that are in the hospital and sick. And we would pray for those that seem to be from all indication that we can ascertain captivated by sin. Pray that You would grant them repentance. Some are professed Christians. Some are friends and families that do not profess to be Christian. And yet we know that only you can change the heart. We do ask our God that with all the unrest that is among the nations, and no doubt many people now are trying to figure out the wars that is going on in the Middle East, how it's all fitting into prophecy. People asking how this and that fits together. And we just have to wait and see. But this much we know, there shall be wars and rumors of wars all the days until the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We would like to see peace on earth, and yet our Lord 
told us that he didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Even separation within families. And so help us to know how to make the distinction if we're put into that that situation. And may the coming of the Lord be soon. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are still studying in 1 John and in chapter 4. We uh, have been in this now for uh, quite a few sermons. And uh, <clears throat> I never know how many sermons we're going to have when we get through with something, but I've learned a long time ago it's uh, not to rush through. And yet, when we get through, we won't even have scratched the surface. Uh, the richness uh, of the Word of God is quite uh, teeming. And John, First John, is quite profound. Uh, as I've said before, I say again, it's one of, if not uh, the most soul-searching book of the Bible. It's quite, uh, John just lays it on the line uh, quite uh, clearly. And uh, Arthur Pink, uh, he died going through First John. He never did get through with it. And he said that he kept putting it off of studying and through First John because he never felt qualified to tackle it. And, of course, when I read that, I almost quit myself. But anyway, we're looking primarily right now in verses uh, 7 through 12 of the fourth chapter would remind you that uh, at the beginning of the fourth chapter, and of course we all know that there were no chapter divisions in the original, but it talked about trying the spirits. And what it's talking about is trying preachers. And this that we're going to see in verses 7 through 12 is not to be uh, separated from the overall context and how that God's people are supposed to know the Scriptures well enough that they can identify a true preacher from a false one. Remember that it says in First uh, John 4, 1, Beloved. It didn't say preachers. It didn't say deacons. It didn't say denominational leaders. It didn't say theologians. It's talking about the people of God are to be so astute in the Word of God that they can identify whether a man is a true preacher or not. And as I said, and I will repeat it, uh, kind of bring our visitors somewhat up to date. But 
uh, as I said, I'm persuaded that uh, at least 95% of professing Christians in the pew cannot do this. And I gave the illustration of a a few weeks back, there was a minister among our own denomination, by the way, this took place, where a minister got up and preached at a meeting some heresy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, the next day or two, another minister got up in a separate congregation and preached the truth of Christ and trying to show the error of what was preached. And people that heard both sermons talked about how great both sermons were. In other words, they couldn't distinguish the difference between truth and error. And I believe that's where most people are because they don't read and study the Bible. Whether you're male or female or whether you're a young man or whether you're an old man or whether you are a child. Remember in the second chapter, he talked about, I write unto you little children because your sins are forsaken uh, or forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the father. I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and I, and ye have overcome the wicked one. In other words, it doesn't matter whether you're looking at a Father, young man, or little child, whether you're talking about spiritual growth or even uh, people that, that their natural growth that are professing Christian, it says that all of them are overcomers and they know the Father. It's not the idea that the young are to sow their wild oats and then wait and serve God. They're to be right in there with the old. All of God's children are, be, are to be in there. And, uh, and then he, in verse, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You are to be astute enough to know whether I'm preaching the truth or not. And if I'm not, you ought to throw me out on my ears. That's what it boils down to. Anyway, and then he comes on down and he says that God's children here are overcomers. And we spent quite a bit of time on the fact of Overcomers. He didn't say that you ought to be. Notice it says, verse 4, Ye are of God little children and have overcome them. God's children are overcomers. He didn't say God's children ought to be overcomers, though you ought. He didn't say you should be. He didn't say strive to be overcomers. So God's children are overcomers. And why is it? 
Because they're greater and they're stronger than the world. No, that's not what it said. Because greater is He that is in you. We don't overcome in our own selves. We overcome because of the work of grace that's in our heart. And then, taking up in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. Let us love one another. The only way that you're going to know whether you love God is whether you love the children of God and keep His commandments. He says that plainly in the first verse of the fifth chapter. There's no excuse for children of God not loving one another. Now you may not like everybody. It's not talking about how much you like someone. It's how much you love them. And we'll look into that a little bit more. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Do you know God? How do you know that you know God? You know that you know God if you love the children of God. I'm not going to go back to the third chapter and reiterate that, but you can go back and read it. And it said that if we don't love God's children, we don't love God. And I'll bring it out now, though I think I've got it listed later on in my outline. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9 plainly states that God's children love each other. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are what? Taught of God to love one another. To love one another. So you see, beloved, you're going to have to know who is and who's not a Christian. And you're obligated to love the Christian. They didn't say to love your fellow church members, though that ought to be obvious. It didn't say love those of your denomination, though that ought to be obvious. It was Christians. Christians. Love Christians. Now, we live in a society that talks about loving people unconditionally. Loving people unconditionally. The only individual that's to be loved unconditionally is the Lord Jesus Christ. If a person is living a wicked life, then we are not to love them 
in that wicked lifestyle. We are to love them if they're living according to the Scriptures. In other words, let me... Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but uh, you know that love in the Bible is a verb more than a noun. In other words, love is a word of action. And how do I know that I love my brother? John told us that if I see a brother have need, and I shut up my bowels of compassion from him, the love of God doesn't dwell in me. And I gave the illustration that uh, back when I was at Grace Chapel many years ago, we had some young men there that thought they might be called to preach. And one young man got up one night one night, and gave an excellent, excellent message on love. When the service was over with, we had uh, one of our uh, deacons said, uh, we've got a brother in need here and uh, asked that the men get together in the kitchen to see if we could come up with enough money to help this brother in need and not have to dip into the treasury because our treasury wasn't uh, that great at that time. And thankfully, we were able to do that. But this man that had gotten up and preached a excellent message on love said, I'm not going to help him. He got himself into that mess. And he can get himself out. He didn't love. He knew the, he knew the language, but he didn't show any love. He didn't stick around very long either. But anyway, uh, the point is, it's, it's helping, it's acting toward the individual. If a brother have need, and that's more than financial need, it might be that an individual has a spiritual need. If there's a brother that has a spiritual need, you're to, uh, you're to uh, administer to him. And obviously, if someone is living in sin, let's say, a, let's say an individual is a drunk, you don't show your love to him by giving money to him and letting him buy uh, some more whiskey to get drunk with. You don't love him unconditionally. There's conditions on it. There's conditions on it. You remember... Uh, I'll just turn there. I won't try to exegete it or anything. But Psalm 139, 21. Most people uh, want to bypass such verses. 139, Psalm 139. Verse 21. Do not I hate them that hate uh, hate them, O Lord, that hate Thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against Thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. People that hate the Lord Jesus Christ, while you may have some emotional attachments to them, 
You're to love God more than you're to love them. Jesus made that statement plain. He that hateth not his father, mother, brother, sister, uh, husband, wife, son, daughter, whatever, more than me cannot be my disciple. In other words, you can't, you can't love someone else more than Christ and be a disciple of Christ. But there's much more that could be said about this loving unconditional, but I just wanted to throw that out because this you see that in society a lot of times. Oh, I just love you unconditionally. Well, if somebody's doing evil, I'm not going to do anything to promote them to keep on in their evilness. We can't. We can't. But we are to love God's children. And even that cannot be unconditional. Like I said, the only one that's to be loved unconditionally is God. He doesn't do anything wrong. He's always right. We need to keep that in mind. But still, we can't get around the fact, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. In other words, he that does not love the brethren, not only have they not known God in the past, they don't know Him now in the present. It's impossible. Now we're talking, let me, let me say this, lest I be misunderstood again. Let me say this again, lest I be misunderstood. Uh, this is talking about a way of life. It's talking about a way of life. Obviously, we're sinners. And obviously, we may rub each other the wrong way sometimes. And we don't act lovingly toward each other as we ought sometimes. But we're talking about a lifestyle. An overall lifestyle. David committed adultery and murder one time. But he didn't do that on a regular basis. That wasn't his lifestyle. That wasn't his habit. And this is what John is talking about. In this, verse 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. I like that song that we sing sometimes that has that 
verse in it. Do you want proof of this, my love? Look to Jesus and look to Calvary and Jesus above, or something of that nature. In other words, how do I know that God loves me? It's not how I feel. It's what Christ did for me. He died for me. He died for me. Sometimes I don't feel like it. Sometimes I may not act like it. But overall, Christ died for me. And how do I know that Christ died for me? How can I be certain that Christ died for me? Do you love the brethren? You see, we want to say, well, I know Christ died for me because I have this certain feeling that I get every once in a while. Well, that certain feeling that you get every once in a while may be too many pickles. It might be a lot of different things. It could be the Lord. But John gave us something more concrete. John said, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. That was in the third chapter. Well, how do I know that I love the brethren? I don't love him in word, but in deed. I can look over my life. I can see how I have responded to God's children. And I can look and see whether there's evidence, concrete, physical evidence that I can see with my eyes and experience in everyday life. I love the brethren. If I just talk about it and never express it, there's nothing in that. You know, John thirteen thirty four. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. But all too often it's not quoted that way. Many times it's quoted, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. But having love for you is not going to do you any good. And I've used this illustration many times, but I can say, I've got some water here in my hand for you. That doesn't do you any good till I give it to you. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. And I will go ahead and enlarge, even though John is talking about loving the brethren, our love, Christian love, may also extend to our enemies. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 23, 43, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemies. 
enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you and uh, do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them that love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publican so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. In other words, if my neighbor who doesn't like me, and I may not like him, if he runs off in the ditch, I'm going to show my love to him. If I come along, I'm going to help pull him out. You see, I don't have to like him to love him. We can't mix up love and like. Of course, it's good when they both go together. And sometimes, as we said, brothers rub each other the wrong way. What should we do? Show our love to them. If he sinned, go talk to the preacher and find out what you ought to do. No. Talk to some of your family members and find out what you ought to do. No. Go to him and him alone. That's the first step toward your brother or sister. That's the first step. That's showing love. That's showing love. You see, the Scriptures tell us what to do. We just don't want to do it. It's uncomfortable. It's not easy. But that's how you know that you love God. Because you keep His commandments, you do what He said, and you express your love to the brethren. Verse 9 again, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. You see, eternal life is not just being born again, and then when you die, going to be with the Lord. It's everything in between. And Jesus Christ came and gave Himself for us that we might live through Him. And the way we live through Him is showing our love. Which includes keeping the commandments. If you remember as we've gone through this, it goes back and forth, back and forth. 
And then I'll read, I've already quoted it, but John, 1 John 5, 1 and 2, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth Him that begat, that is, loved God, loveth Him also that is begotten of Him, that is, the children of God. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. You know what grieves the child of God? That he can't keep the commandments like he wants to. It grieves him because he can't keep them like he wants to. He loves the commandments. He loves God. He loves God's children. And sometimes we really have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and crucify ourselves to express our love one to another. After all, if you rub me the wrong way, that's your fault. But John, our Lord said, if you, if, if you know that your brother has ought against you, you're to go to him. Then say you're to wait for him to come to you. And also, if you, if you know your brother's wrong, you're to go to him. So whether you're the offender or the offendee, God doesn't give us a way out. But what we want to do is ignore it and hope it will go away. And normally it just gets worse. You know, sometimes... I'm kind of being a little humorous here, but uh, uh, man might come home and ask your wife, what's wrong? Well, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> well, how's he going to know if you don't tell him? <laughs> and that's the way we get sometimes. We think, well, they ought to know why I'm upset with them. I was talking to a brother recently, and he was telling me that he thought someone was upset with him and he thought maybe it might be because of this and it might be because of that and it could be this and it could be that. I said, listen, quit assuming. You don't know whether he's even uh, at odds with you. You just think he is. And you're assuming. I said, until you know I mean, it might be just in the providence of God, He hasn't had time to reach out to you. It might be, you know, He's been busy with other things and, and so on. Finally, He said, well, yeah, yeah, you're right. I can sit at home alone and I can, I can build a good case out of nothing. And we all can. When we are to exercise that love, which is 
composed of discipline and disciplining ourselves. He said this, verse 9, uh, nine again, that, uh, that we might live through Him. 1 John 5.11 says, And this is the record that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. In other words, John was writing to believers so that they would keep on believing. And that's the same thing with the Gospel of John. Turn with me to John 20. I'm amazed at how many theologians and Bible commentators and scholars overlook the grammar of John 20. Verses 30 and 31. John twenty thirty. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, and I'm going to give you the grammar as we go through it, that ye might keep on believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that continuing to believe, ye might keep on having life through His name. A.T. Robertson did an excellent job in pointing that out. In other words, John wasn't writing to people to try to get them to believe. He was writing to believers to encourage them to keep on believing. And that's what he said in in the first epistle. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That more abundant life is if we Face love head on. Face love head on. Back again in 1 John 4, 10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I like that. Because I know that if God hadn't loved me first, I never would have loved Him. And I also know that if God's depending on me to keep that love like it ought to be, I still would miss out. 
the more I, the longer I live, the more I am thankful for the justifying righteousness of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The longer I live, the more I understand Brother Copeland's answers when I would ask him from time to time, you still have trouble with sin? Oh, yeah. In his 90s, living a century, I don't know whether I have more sin or whether I see sin more clearly than I do in the past, have in the past. But I know one thing. Without Christ, I'm nothing. But at the same time, in Christ, the overall lifestyle is going to be one of keeping His commandments and loving the brethren. Loving the brethren. There's something wrong with someone. I'll just bring it right down to uh, nuts and bolts of it. There's something wrong with someone if they say that they can miss the house of God and it doesn't bother them. Because what better place than to find the saints of God than in the house of God. People will go to all extremes for a lot of different things. I saw a, a, a picture uh, recently of some people sitting at a football game, I suppose, and they were all wrapped up in snow which owned them. And someone made the statement that if, uh, if people were that dedicated to the house of God, uh, things might be a little bit different than what they are. But how else are you going to love the brethren? And... And society, as well as the devil, but society is doing everything that it can to break that up, break this up. No one has the right to tell the house of God not to meet. No one. No one. Of course, there's providential hindrances, and we're not getting into that. We're just talking about the overall situation. But how better? How better can one express their love for the saints of God than being in the house of God to encourage one another? To encourage one another as a minister. And, of course, uh, we usually have 100% attendance here. <laughs> Today we have over 100% attendance. But anyway, 
uh, there's many people out there on the internet that listen. They need to hear this. As a minister who loves the house of God and who loves the people of God, it affects him when people don't show up. I've had people to ask me to preach on things and I've studied uh, weeks and uh, length of time and studied it out and got up to preach on it and uh, that Sunday they decided not to show up. You see, beloved, you are more important than you think you are. Not only to one another, but to the minister and to the strength of the house of God overall by showing love one to another. Love one to another. Now sometimes we see a brother in need and we don't know what to do. We don't know whether to talk to them or not talk to them. And if we did talk to them, we wouldn't know what to say. But there's one thing we can do. We can take them to the Lord and pray for them. And ask God if there's anything that you're to do for Him to open your eyes. And I'm just... uh, uh, I believe in God enough that if there's something that you need to do specifically, He'll open your eyes and make a way. As a general rule, I believe that. Or it might be sometimes there's nothing else to say. I know a situation where a man that uh, is in bad shape. In fact, he's a preacher. In really, really, really bad shape. And another brother's been talking to him quite straightforwardly. And recently he didn't know whether to talk to this uh, individual again or not. And he and I were talking. He said, well, I believe I'm going to do such and so. I said, well, let's just pray about it. And we prayed about it, and before the day was over, uh, he uh, realized that uh, he didn't have anything else to say. You see, we can't get results. We can be faithful. We can talk to a brother. We can do what God would have us to do. But sometimes because we don't get results, we think we failed. We can't change the heart. We can be faithful, show our love, express our love, talk to them, encourage them, or rebuke them if need be. to leave the results up to God. See, you can know, you can know whether you 
or showing love to someone or not by your action. You know that. You see it. It's concrete. It's not some nebulous feeling that is out there in uh, never, never land that you don't know whether it's of God or not and, and so on and so forth. God's Word is concrete. And if God loved us, we ought to love one another. How do I know that God loved me? He sent Christ to die for me. It's not how much I read the Bible. It's not how long I pray. I know that Christ loved me because He sent Christ to die for me. How do I know that I love God? Verse 12, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit, and so on and so forth. But anyway, you don't see God, but you see each other. And you know when you've expressed your love to each other. Now, it's good that we tell each other that we love each other. Men usually don't say that as much as they ought. That's our nature. There's no excuse. <laughs> it's a reason. It's not an excuse. But a man that is constantly providing for his family and going at great lengths to do all that he can to provide for the family and do all that he knows how to do, and when, especially if he sacrifices for his family at various times, he's showing love. He's expressing love. And he can say, I know I love my family. I know I love my wife. He can also say, I know I ought to tell her more. And she'll probably say, yes, you should. <laughs> and it might be she needs to tell him more. But I've seen people talk about how much they love one another and they didn't love each other by the way they acted toward each other. And we haven't seen, we, we can't see God, but we can see one another. And we know that we love God by how we express that love in tangible ways to fellow believers. Well, there's more that could be said about that, but we'll take up 
somewhat again this afternoon, but uh, I hope this will encourage you and how you can know that you love God. Somebody said, do you love God? Yes, I love God. How do you know you love God? Because I love the brethren. Well, how do you know you love the brethren? Well, when so-and-so did such-and-such, we either uh, helped them out financially, or uh, I saw uh, my brother that uh, was kindly down and out. I I, uh, sacrificed some of my time to go and help them and encourage them and pull them out of the ditch. I saw one that was kindly uh, captivated by sin, and I did everything I could to get them out of sin. In other words, uh, this love is not something nebulous out there. It's not just this feeling, oh, I feel this way, I feel that way. Uh, when somebody's in need and you're having to labor to help them, uh, that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot out of you sometimes. But you're willing to do it. You're willing to do it. It's not a sacrifice. It's a delight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that You take these stumbling words and apply it to the heart of those who hear that it might have continuity and solidify the inward working of the Holy Spirit in such a way that it would bring honor and glory unto You. Forgive us of our slothfulness, of our selfishness, And we're reminded that Christ loved us when we were unlovely. And so likewise, we have to love our brother or sister when they're unlovely. And give us enough gumption to know how to do it. And keep us from rushing in without your divine direction and making a mess of things. But help us not to be so fearful of making a mess of thing, things that we do nothing. You know what I'm trying to say, Father, and I pray that you would make it plain to us in our everyday lives as we live on this earth. In Jesus' name, Amen.